Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed. Journalists, independent investigators, people like that disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times. Each of those three showed evasions. His resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world, and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned that described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the big guns of World War 1 and 2 that disappeared. So to start off with, we have the Paris gun. The Paris gun was the name given to a type of German long-range siege gun, several of which were used to bombard Paris during World War I. They were in service from March to August of 1918. When the guns were first employed, Parisians believed that they'd been bombarded by a high-altitude Zeppelin, as the sound of neither an aeroplane nor a gun could be heard. They were the largest pieces of artillery used during the war by barrel length and qualify under the later formal definition of large-caliber artillery. Also called the Kaiser Wilhelm Geschütz, Emperor Wilhelm gun, they were often confused with Big Bertha, the German howitzer used against Belgian forts in the Battle of Liège in 1914. Indeed, the French called them by this name as well. They were also confused with the smaller Langemax, Longmax cannon from which they were derived. Although the famous Krupp family artillery makers produced all these guns, the resemblance ended there. As military weapons, the Paris guns were not a great success. The payload was small, the barrel required frequent replacement, and the gun's accuracy was good enough only for city-sized targets. The German objective was to build a psychological weapon to attack the morale of the Parisians, not to destroy the city itself. Now we get into a description of this Paris gun. Due to the weapon's apparent total destruction by the Germans in the face of the final Allied offensives, its capabilities are not known with full certainty. Figures stated for the weapon's size, range, and performance varied wildly depending on the source. Not even the number of shells fired is certain. With the discovery in the late 1980s and publication in the Bull and Murphy book of a long note on the gun written shortly before his death in 1926 by Dr. Fritz Rausenberger, sorry if I get that name wrong, who was in charge of its development at Krupp, the details of its design and capabilities were considerably clarified. What we do know is the gun was capable of firing a 106 kilogram, 234 pound shell to a range of 130 kilometers, 81 miles, and a maximum altitude of 42.3 kilometers, 26.3 miles, the greatest height reached by a human-made projectile until the first successful V2 flight test in October of 1942. At the start of its 182 second trajectory, each shell from the Paris gun reached a speed of 1,640 miles per second. 5,904 kilometers per hour or 5,381 feet per second or 3,669 miles per hour. The distance was so far that the Coriolis effect, the rotation of the Earth, was substantial enough to affect trajectory calculations. The gun was fired at an azimuth of 232 degrees west-southwest from, and I'm going to butcher this name, Krippi en Loan, which was at an altitude of 49.5 degrees north. 
seven barrels that we know of were constructed. They used worn out 38 centimeter SKL slash 45 max 17,130 millimeter gun barrels that were fitted with an internal tube that reduced the caliber from 380 millimeters, 15 inches, to 210 millimeters, 8 inches. The tube was 31 meters, 102 foot long, and projected 13.9 meter or 46 feet out of the end of the gun. So an extension was bolted to the old gun muzzle to cover and reinforce the lining tube. A further 6 meter long smoothbore extension was attached to the end of this, giving a total barrel length of 37 meters, 121 foot. This smooth section was intended to improve accuracy and reduce the dispersion of the shells, as it reduced the slight yaw a shell might have immediately after leaving the gun barrel produced by the gun's rifling. The barrel was braced to counteract barrel drop due to its length and weight and the vibrations while firing. It was mounted on a special rail transportable carriage and fired from a prepared concrete emplacement with a turntable. The original breech of the old 38cm gun did not require modification or reinforcement. Since it was based on a naval weapon, the gun was manned by a crew of 80 Imperial Navy soldiers under the command of Vice Admiral Maximilian Rogg, Chief of the Ordnance Branch of the Admiralty. It was surrounded by several batteries of standard army artillery to create a noise screen chorus around the big gun so that it could not be located by French and British spotters. The projectile was flying significantly higher than projectiles from previous guns. Writer and journalist Adam Hosschild put it this way, quote, It took about three minutes for each giant shell to cover the distance to the city, climbing to an altitude of 25 miles 40 kilometer at the top of its trajectory. This was by far the highest point ever reached by a man-made object, so high that gunners in calculating where the shells would land had to take into account the rotation of the earth. For the first time in warfare, deadly projectiles rained down on civilians from the stratosphere." End quote. This reduced drag from air resistance, allowing the shell to achieve a range of over 130 kilometers or 81 miles. The unfinished V3 cannon would have been able to fire larger projectiles to a longer range and with a substantially higher rate of fire. The unfinished Iraqi supergun, which Gerald Bull was working on, who also died very shortly after, would have been substantially would also have been substantially bigger. Now we get into the weapons projectiles. The Paris gun shells weighed in excess of 106 kilograms or 234 pounds. The shells initially used had a diameter of 216 millimeters, 8.5 inches, and a length of 916 millimeters or 38 inches. The main body of the shell was composed of thick steel containing 7 kilos or 15 pounds of TNT. The small amount of explosive, around 6.6% of the weight of the shell, meant that the effect of its shell burst was small for the shell's size. The thickness of the shell casing to withstand the force of firing meant the shells would explode into a comparatively small number of large fragments limiting their destructive effect. A crater produced by a shell falling in the Terillia's garden was described by an eyewitness as being 10 to 12 foot 3 to 3.7 meters across and 4 foot 1.2 meters deep. The shells were propelled at such a high velocity that each successive shot wore away a considerable amount of steel from the rifled bore. Each shell was sequentially numbered according to its increasing diameter and had to be fired in numeric order lest the projectile lodged in the bore and the gun explode. Also, when the shell was rammed into the gun, the chamber was precisely measured to determine the difference in its length. A few inches off would cause a great variance in the velocity and with it, the range. Then, with the variance determined, the additional quantity of propellant was calculated and its measure taken from a special car and added to the regular charge. 
After 65 rounds had been fired, each of progressively larger caliber to allow for wear, the barrel was sent back to Krupp and rebored to a caliber of 238mm or 9.4 inches with a new set of shells. The shell's explosive was contained in two compartments separated by a wall. This strengthened the shell and supported the explosive charge under the acceleration of firing. One of the shell's two fuses was mounted in the wall with the other in the base of the shell. The fuses proved very reliable as every single one of the 303 shells that landed in and around Paris successfully detonated. The shell's nose was fitted with a streamlined lightweight ballistic cap, a highly unusual feature for the time, and the side had grooves that engaged with the rifling of the gun barrel spinning the shell as it was fired so its flight was stable. Two copper driving bands provided a gas tight seal against the gun barrel during firing. Now we get into the use of the Paris gun in World War One. The Paris gun was used to shell Paris at a range of 120 kilometers or 75 miles. The gun was fired from a wooded hill which was known as Le Mont de Joy near Crepy sorry if I get that name wrong, and the first shell landed at 7.18am on the 23rd of March 1918 on the, and I'm going to butcher this name, Quai de la Seine, the explosion being heard across the city. Shells continued to land at 15 minute intervals, with 21 counted on the first day alone. On the first day, 15 people were killed and 36 were wounded. The effect on morale in Paris was immediate. By 27th of March, queues of thousands had started at the Guerre d'Orsay and the Guerre Montparnasse, Ticket sales out of the capital were suspended due to demand. I'm sorry for getting any of those names wrong. The initial assumption was these were bombs dropped from an airplane or zeppelin flying too high to be seen or heard. Within a few hours, sufficient casing fragments had been collected to show that the explosions were the results of shells, not bombs. By the end of the day, military authorities were aware the shells were being fired from behind German lines by a new long-range gun, although there was initial press speculation on the origin of the shells. This included a theory they were being fired by German agents close by Paris or even within the city itself, so abandoned quarries close to the city was searched for a hidden gun. Three emplacements for the gun were located within days by the French reconnaissance pilot Didier Durat, sorry if I get that name wrong, the path of the shells which landed in Paris, having revealed the direction from which they were being fired. The closest emplacement was engaged by a 34cm railway gun, while the other two sites were bombed by aircraft, although this failed to interrupt the German bombardment. Between 320 and 367 shells were fired at a maximum rate of around 20 per day. The shells killed 250 people and wounded 620 others and caused considerable damage to property. The worst incident was on the 29th of March 1918 when a shell hit the roof of the St. Jervis et St. Protest Church, sorry I forget that name wrong, collapsing the roof onto the congregation, then hearing the Good Friday service. A total of 91 people were killed and 68 were wounded. There was no firing between the 25th and 29th of March when the first barrel was being replaced. An unconfirmed intelligence report claimed that it had exploded. Barrels were probably changed again between the 7th and the 11th of April, and again between the 21st and 24th of April. The diameter of the latter shells increased from 21 to 24 centimeters, indicating that the used barrels had been rebored. A further emplacement later identified as specifically designed for the Paris gun was found by advancing US troops at the beginning of August on the north side of the wooded hill at Calcy Le Chateau Afrique. I'm sorry if I get that name wrong, some 86 kilometers, 53 miles from Paris. 
The gun was taken back to Germany in August of 1918 as Allied advances threatened its security. No guns were ever captured by the Allies, and it is believed that near the end of the war they were completely destroyed by the Germans. One spare mounting was captured by American troops in, and I'm going to butcher this name again, Brewers Surferie near Chateau 3, but the gun was never found. The construction plan seemed to have been destroyed as well. Now we get to what happened after World War One. Under the terms of the Treaty of Versailles, the Germans were required to turn over a complete Paris gun to the Allies, but they never complied with that order. In the 1930s, the German army became interested in rockets for long-range artillery as a replacement for the Paris gun, which was specifically banned under the Versailles Treaty. This work would eventually lead to the V2 rocket that was used in World War II. Despite the ban, Krupp continued theoretical work on long-range guns. They started experimental work after the Nazi government began funding the project upon coming to power in 1933. This research led to the 21cm K12E, a refinement of the Paris gun design concept. Although it was broadly similar in size and range to its predecessor, Krupp's engineers had significantly reduced the problem of barrel wear. They also improved mobility over the fixed Paris gun by making the K12 a railway gun. The first K-12 was delivered to the German army in 1939 and a second in 1940. During World War II, they were deployed in the Nord Pass de Salis region of France. Sorry if I get that name wrong. They were used to shell Kent in southern, East, southern England between late 1940 and early 1941. One gun was captured by the Allied forces in the Netherlands in 1945. Now we come to the World War II gun, that being Schwer Gustav. Schwer Gustav, English Heavy Gustav, was a German 80cm 31.5-inch railway gun. It was developed in the late 1930s by Krupp in Rügenwald as siege artillery for the explicit purpose of destroying the main forts of the French Maginot Line, the strongest fortifications in existence at the time. The fully assembled gun weighed nearly 1,350 tons or 1,490 short tons and could fire shells weighing 7 tons or 7.7 short tons to a range of 47 kilometers 29 miles. The gun was designed in preparation for the Battle of France but was not ready for action when that battle began and in any case the Wehrmacht's Blitzkrieg offensive through Belgium rapidly outflanked and isolated the Maginot Line's strategic static defenses which were then besieged with more conventional heavy guns until French capitulation. Gustav was later deployed in the Soviet Union during the Battle of Sevastopol, part of Operation Barbarossa, where amongst other things it destroyed a munitions depot located roughly 30 metres 98 feet below ground level. The gun was moved to Leningrad and may have been intended to be used in the Warsaw Uprising like other German heavy siege pieces, but the uprising was crushed before it could be prepared to fire. Gustav was destroyed by the Germans near the end of the war in 1945 to avoid capture by the Soviet Red Army. Schwer Gustav was the largest caliber rifled weapon ever used in combat and in terms of overall weight, the heaviest mobile artillery piece ever built. It fired the heaviest shells of any artillery piece and it was surpassed in caliber only by the unused British Mallets Mortar and the American Little David Bomb Testing Mortar, both at 36 inches, 91.5 centimeters, but was the only one of the three to be used in combat. Now we get into the development of Schwer Gustav. 
1934, the German Army High Command commissioned Krupp to, of Essen to design a gun to destroy the forts of the French Maginot Line that were nearing completion. The gun's shells had to punch through 7 metres of reinforced concrete or 1 full metre of steel armour plate from beyond the range of French artillery. Krupp engineer Eric Mueller calculated that the task would require a weapon with a calibre of around 80 centimetres, firing a projectile weighing 7 tonnes from a barrel 30 metres long. The weapon would have a weight of over 1,000 tonnes. The size and weight meant that it to be at all movable, it would need to be supported on twin sets of railway tracks. In common with smaller railway guns, the only barrel movement on the mount itself would be elevation, traverse being managed by moving the weapon along a curved section of railway line. Krupp prepared plans for calibers of 70 centimetres, 80 centimetres, 85 centimetres and 1 metre. Nothing further happened until March 1936, when during a visit to Essen, Adolf Hitler inquired as to the giant gun's feasibility. No definite commitment was given by Hitler, but design work began on an 80cm model. The resulting plans were completed in early 1937 and approved. Fabrication of the first gun started in mid-1937. Technical complications in the forging of such massive pieces of steel made it apparent that the original completion date of early 1940 could not be met. Krupp built a test model in late 1939 and sent it to the Hillersbeen Proving Ground for testing. Penetration was tested on this occasion and firing at high elevation, the 7.1 ton shell was able to penetrate the specified 7 metres of concrete and 1 metre armour plate. When the tests were completed in mid-1940, the complex carriage was further developed. Alfred Krupp, after whose father the gun was named, personally hosted Hitler at the Rugenwald Proving Ground during the formal acceptance trials of the Gustav gun in early 1941. Two more guns were ordered. The first round was test-fired from the commissioned gun barrel on 10th of September 1941 from a makeshaft gun carriage at Hillersbin. In November 1941, the barrel was taken to Rugenwald, now Dalowo, Poland, where eight further firing tests were carried out using the 7,100kg armor-piercing shell out to a range of 37,210 meters. In combat, the gun was mounted on a specially designed chassis supported by eight bogies on two parallel railway tracks. Each of the bogies had five axles, giving a total of 40 axles, 80 wheels. Krupp named the gun Shavir Gustav, Heavy Gustav, after the senior director of the firm, Gustav Krupp von Bolhen und Halbach. Sorry if I get that name wrong. The gun could fire a heavy concrete piercing shell and a lighter high explosive shell. An extremely long range rocket projectile was also planned with a range of 150 kilometers that would require the barrel being extended to 84 meters. In keeping with the, with the tradition of the Krupp company, no payment was asked for the first gun. They charged 7 million Reichsmark, approximately 24 million USD in 2015, money for the second gun Dora, named after the senior engineer's wife. Now we get into the history of this gun. In February 1942, Heavy Artillery Unit E-672 reorganized and went on the march and Sviergustov began its long ride to Crimea. The train carrying the gun was of 25 cars, a total length of 1.5 kilometers or 0.9 miles long. The gun reached the Precop Isthmus in early March of 1942 where it was held until early April. The Germans built a special railway spur line to the Simipro-Sevastopol Railway, 16 kilometers or 9.9 miles north of the target. At the end of the spur they built four semicircular tracks especially for Gustav to traverse. Outer tracks were required for the cranes that assembled Gustav. 
The Siege of Sevastopol was the gun's first combat test. 4,000 men in five weeks were needed to get the gun to firing position. 500 men were needed to fire it. Installation began in early May, and by the 5th of June, the gun was ready to fire. The following targets that I'm about to list out were engaged. On the 5th of June, coastal guns at a range of 25,000 miles, eight shells fired. Fort Stalin, six shells fired. On the 6th of June, Fort Molotov, seven shells were fired. White Cliff, also known as Ammunition Mountain, an undersea ammunition magazine in Sylvania, Northern Bay. The magazine was sighted 30 metres under the sea with at least 10 metres of concrete protection. After nine shells were fired, the magazine was ruined and one of the boats in the bay sunk. 7th of June, firing in support of an infantry attack on, and I'm going to butcher this name, Sud Wispitz, an outlying fortification, seven shells were fired. 11th of June, Fort Sabria, knocked out of action, five shells were fired. 17th of June, Maxim Gorky fortresses bombarded, Maxim Gorky 1, knocked out of action, Maxim Gorky 2, damaged, five shells were fired. By the end of the siege on 4th of July, the city of Sevastopol lay in ruins and 30,000 tons of artillery ammunition had been fired. Gustav had fired 47 rounds and worn out, worn out its original barrel, which had already fired around 250 rounds during testing and development. The gun was fitted with a spare barrel and the original was sent back to Krupp's factory in Essen for relining. The gun was then dismantled and moved to the northern part of the eastern front where an attack was planned on Leningrad. The gun was placed 30 kilometers or 18.6 miles from the city near the railway station of Tatsti. The gun was fully operational when the attack was cancelled. The gun then spent the winter of 1942-1943 near Leningrad. Now we get into its sister Dora. Dora was the second gun produced. It was deployed briefly against Stalingrad, where the gun arrived at its emplacement 15 kilometers or 9.3 miles to the west of the city sometime in mid-August of 1942. It was ready to fire on the 13th of September. It was withdrawn when Soviet forces threatened to encircle the German forces. When the Germans began their long retreat, they took Dora with them. Now we come to Langer Gustav. The Langer Gustav was a long cannon with 52cm, 20.5-inch calibre, and a 43-metre barrel. It was intended to fire super-long-range rocket projectiles weighing 680 kilograms to a range of 190 kilometres or 118 miles. This gave it the range to hit London from Calais in France. It was never completed after being damaged during construction by one of the many RAF bombing raids on Essen. Then we have the Land Cruiser P-1500 Monster Project. The Monster was to be a 1,500-ton mobile self-propelled platform from an 80cm KE gun, along with two 15cm SFH-18 heavy howitzers and multiple MG-151 autocannons normally used on combat aircraft. It was deemed impractical, and in 1943 was cancelled by Albert Speer. It never left the drawing board, and no progress was ever made on it. It would have surpassed the pan Panzer Mouse, the heaviest tank ever built, and the Land Cruiser P-1000 Rat, never built in weight and size. Now we get into the post-war whereabouts of the Schwer Gustav. On the 14th of April 1945, one day before the arrival of US troops, Schwer Gustav was destroyed to prevent its capture. On the 22nd of April 1945, its ruins were discovered in a forest 15 kilometers, 9.3 miles north of Arabak, and about 50 kilometers, 20, 31 miles southwest of Shimans. In summer of 1945, Shvega was studied by Soviet specialists, and in autumn of the same year, was transferred to Merzburg, where the Soviets were gathering German military material. Thereafter, the trail of the gun was lost. 
In March of 1945, Dora was transferred to Grafenwar and was blown up there on April 19th of 1945. The Derbs were discovered by American troops sometime after the discovery of Schwer Gustav's ruins. The Derbs were scrapped in the 1950s. Part of the third 52cm gun was found after the war in the Krupp production facilities in Essen. The world's largest Dora Ensemble is located in the Military History Museum of the Bundwasser in Dresden. The exact whereabouts of the other guns remain unknown. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time, next on Unanswered Questions. Now, since the mid-1970s, a variety of conspiracy theories have emerged regarding British Labour Prime Minister Harold Wilson, who served as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1964 to 1970 and 1974 to 1976. 